0: Hey! Welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church, for young adults, by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy!
1: practice. How you guys doing? My name is Matt. For those of you uh, who are new this summer, I've been gone this summer too. So uh, my name is Matt and uh, it's been a pleasure serving this community. Really excited to be here tonight to share what God has put on my heart. We're studying uh, the book of Revelation, which can be kind of challenging to understand. Um, So uh, tonight we're going to be studying something called the seven trumpets. So I'm going to start with prayer and then we'll get into it. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath, a day that we can rest in your presence. God, I ask for a special blessing tonight upon this place, upon me, that you would speak through me, that these words may pierce into our souls and that you may convict us, that you may show us your truth and show us who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So during one of my shifts uh, this past year, Uh, For those of you who were here last week, Carl kind of asked me a question about procedures. I I recently graduated from residency here at Loma Linda. And so I I work as an ER doctor. And uh, one of my my shifts is, ER nurses right here, shout out. (laughs) So on one of my uh, shifts this past year, I took care of a two-year-old. And I went into the room to see the patient. She was with her mom. She was acting normal, breathing okay. No real didn 't look sick or anything like that, but the mom was concerned that she had something stuck up her nose, which can be an issue to a certain degree if it gets further back or goes falls back behind into your into your throat into your airway and so it does need to come out thankfully, she looked well so uh, you know I talked to the mom, I examined the kid, and those of you who know children, especially those that work in the medical field or with kids at all, know that kids can be difficult sometimes because They don't like people that they're not familiar with in their personal space. And unfortunately, as this little girl's doctor, I had to be in her personal space. Uh, Sure enough, as I looked into her nose, she had what looked like a bead in one of her nostrils. And so I explained to the mom, I said, hey, you know, we're going to do this this quick procedure. It's going to be really quick. And in the ER, there's, you know, if it's a major procedure that is really painful and takes a lot of time you typically will typically put the patient to sleep while we do that but for procedures like this that are relatively quick painless you know we typically won't do that especially for kids we just ask the parent to kind of hold the kid tightly and uh, we just kind of go in there and and do what we need to do really quickly so I explained that to the mom she agreed uh, and I went ahead got in there grabbed it got it out and the kid cried a little bit cried a little bit, she was kicking, screaming, trying to get away, got it out, she cried a little more, and then she was fine. And uh, what's interesting about this story is that the entire time I was her doctor, just trying to help her, I only intended to do good, but because she didn't understand who I was or what I was doing, she saw me as a threat. She wanted to get away from the very person that was trying to heal her because her perception of me was off. She saw me as a danger when in reality, I had her best interest in mind. We too often look at God through the wrong lens. We always see things from our perspective. We can look at the Bible, or in this case, the book of Revelation. And from our finite perspective, it can appear that God may at times be unmerciful, unloving, quick to judge, and call fire down upon people. But what if our perspective is truly, isn't truly accurate? What if the judgments of God are acts of mercy? What is your perspective of God? What if the judgment is not up to God, but really up to us? Is he an angry tyrant ready to judge the earth or is he a merciful God that pours his love endlessly on humanity? how your perce- how you perceive God affects your decision to follow him or not in the next 20 minutes i'm going to explain how revelation 8 through 11 shows us a perception of God that you will not want to walk away from revelation 8 through 11 is the vision of the seven trumpets in order to understand the seven trumpets it is essential to understand why the vision was given Revelation 8, 3 through 5, says this. (laughs) And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the, the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So what are the saints praying about in this text? If we go to Revelation six ten, it says this that the saints this is what the saints are saying in more depth. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. They are crying out for justice. They are calling on God to come to end evil, persecution, mistreatment. They are tired of the suffering. They want justice. Then look at Revelation 8.5. It says that from the altar, fire comes down to the earth. This is judgment language. We see examples of this in the Old Testament with Sodom and Gomorrah, the city being destroyed with fire. So we have these few verses before the seven trumpets, creating a scene where God's faithful are crying for justice, and God's response is judgment. Then we immediately are presented with the blowing of the trumpets. Now, trumpets in scripture have been used for multiple reasons. Some include the blowing of trumpets As an act of war, for example, when Gideon and his 300 men, um, the blowing of the trumpets initiated this this attack on the Midianites that they won or trumpets being used at the end of the sanctuary service. But we also see trumpets being used to warn of the coming of judgments. An example of this would be in Joshua 6, where God specifically warned the city of Jericho by blowing of trumpets that the walls would come down. This helps us understand that the seven trumpets are seven judgments on those who have rejected God, and this is in response to the prayers of the suffering saints. Then the rest of Revelation 8 and 9 is the vision of of trumpets 1 through 6 and what they mean, and chapter 10 and part of 11 is a time period in between the 6th and the 7th trumpet. It's called an interlude. Then the seventh trumpet is essentially the end or just prior to the second coming of Jesus. So, is God sending judgments onto the wicked because he is angry or hates them? Contrary to popular belief, I don't believe he is. Judgments from God can actually be seen as acts of mercy. First of all, the judgments described in Revelation 8 through 11, from my personal study, show that judgments are actually God no longer holding back evil from those who choose it. What do I mean by this? If you look at earth's history on a big screen, you will notice a theme. The concept of good versus evil. You have God the creator of all things representing light and life against Satan and his angels representing darkness and death. God has allowed Satan to have some degree of influence. In our world, but he has restraints on him, not fully allowing him to attack humanity at his full potential. A prime example would be the story of Job, where Satan has to ask God for permission to torment Job, and God permits him to. Sometimes people choose the powers of darkness over God, and God, rather than himself inflicting punishment, will let them have what they have been asking for, which is a life without him and this protection from evil forces. Pastor Randy Roberts preached a sermon last week, and he read a quote that really explains it well. It was this concept that the bad things that happen to people in in Revelation are divinely permitted by God, but not commissioned by him. God isn't causing these judgments, but rather he is allowing them to happen. The real cause is Satan. These judgments have purpose to them as well. Not only are they God responding to his faithful followers, but his purpose is that they will lead those in rebellion to repentance. We have seen God over and over again use judgments to help people see their need for him. God's judgments can actually be acts of mercy. Let me explain what I mean. I recently, saw th- I recently saw this reel on Instagram, and the caption was something like, he had no clue what would happen. You already know something sus is gonna come up, you know what I mean? So, so it was this guy at this beach in Florida, obviously it's a Florida man, it has to be. <laughs> and, and this guy is digging this trench from this one large body of water, I don't know if it was a lake or a river or what it was, some, some large body of water, to the ocean. And he started off just a few inches, <coughs> a few inches deep and wide. And more people started gathering around. There was water flowing through it, so they went a little deeper. And those of you who know how water works, water h- actually has a lot of power once it starts get when it, once it starts to get going. And the um, the next scene on the on the reel is essentially what this little this little trench that he had dug out turned into was a raging rapid about 15 to 20 feet wide, destroying the beach. I actually have a photo of it. I don't know if you guys can see. Uh, That's the start on the left, and that's what it turned into on the right. Do you see the difference? And at this time, the police showed up, and, and I'm sure this guy was filled with regret after realizing to see the consequences of his small decision. In the same way, the wicked may not realize how broken they are until it is made completely obvious. They may not realize the path they are on until they taste the pangs of their decisions. God's judgment is like him allowing the water of the consequences of evil to rage in our lives so that we can see ourselves and turn to him for safety. Said another way, God, out of respect for humanity, may get to a point where he allows the world to experience the full weight of the evil it has chosen. This is not God trying to vindicate himself, but rather him allowing people to have the freedom to choose and, and live the, with the consequences of their choices. It shows the deep respect God has for human free will while allowing for the potential to grow through the consequences of their choices. The judgments of God also allow for the individual to see the seriousness of sin. When God al- allows people to experience the evil of sin, it shows them the destruction, this destructive nature of sin and reveals the need for redemption. This can lead to a greater appreciation for God's grace and mercy, causing individuals to turn to him for forgiveness and healing. These judgments are not about a raging God wanting to take his anger out on humanity, but rather divine acts of mercy, helping the lost see how empty and hopeless life is without Jesus. So you may ask, how is it possible to find grace to be saved during a time when judgments are in action? Look at the text. Right after the sixth trumpet has been blown, it says this in chapter 9, 20-21. The rest of mankind... Who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of their hands, nor give up worshiping of demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their, of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality, immorality or their thefts. What does the text say? What does the text say they didn't do? Can anyone tell me? What did they not do according to the text? Repent. They didn't repent we can infer from the text that there was still an opportunity to turn and make a decision if there were no opportunity to repent why would the text say they didn't repent if it was something that was impossible the text should read they couldn't repent but instead it says they did not indicating that the decision to follow Jesus was still on the table Not like we mentioned earlier There's a time period between the 6th and the 7th trumpet called an interlude. It is a time period in earth's history right before the second coming of Jesus. Right before the end. The 7th trumpet is the last judgment finalizing people's decisions. So if there's an opportunity to repent up until the very end, what does this show us about Jesus? That he is merciful and that he allows up until the very last second for people to Choose him. He is hoping that there will be even one more person who decides to follow him. God is so patient with us. He is long-suffering. God doesn't deserve to give, doesn't desire to give up on humanity. He allows for as much time as possible to give the lost time to recognize their need for him. How many of you guys have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Okay, like half of you guys. All right, that's cool, that's cool. Um, So that movie was actually based on a man named Desmond Doss, who actually was a member of this church. He was a Seventh-day Adventist guy, and he was a conscientious objector, which means that he didn't carry guns. He didn't want to kill anybody. He just wanted to heal people. And during World War II, there was this this battle of Okinawa and uh, the Japanese versus the U.S., And there was this place called Hacksaw Ridge, where this ridge was about 400 feet high. And on on top of that ridge, they were essentially fighting with the Japanese. And they were, you know, kind of getting, like, worked, you know. And so they were getting, it was pretty bad. And so a lot of the guys were retreating down back to safety. But this guy, Desmond Doss, decided to stay. And... He stayed because he wanted to help people. And what he would do is he would go and he would grab wounded soldiers because people were just leaving them to die. He would go and grab wounded soldiers and he would go down this ridge and lower them with a rope. It's estimated that Doss saved about 75 soldiers during that time. And in an interview that I watched on YouTube of him before he passed, um, you can hear him say that he would pray. During that time, he prayed to God. And I quote this He says, Just one more, God, give me one more. And God did. Just like in Doss' story, right before the end of the battle between good and evil, God is hoping for just one more. He he is allowing for as much time as possible to let even just one more person choose him. God is merciful in his patience with humanity. God's mercy isn't just exemplified in him waiting on us, but it is ultimately shown in that he chooses us even when we don't choose him. Revelation 11, 1 through 14 is the interlude, like I said before, between the 6th and the 7th trumpet. God gives John imagery of two witnesses that preach a powerful message. Look at Revelation eleven three, and I will Grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. It is thought that these two witnesses represent the Old and the New Testaments as well as the church. What ends up happening next is interesting. These two witnesses are killed because of their proclamation. But after that, God raises them up. The Bible says in Revelation 11, 11, 11, 13, 11 through 13, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. They stood up on their feet and a great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great, great, a great earthquake and t- a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. What we see here is God giving us imagery of what will happen before everyone makes their final decision. God raises up people that proclaim the gospel and are met with persecution. But then what happens at the end of verse 13 is interesting. It says that the rest were terrified and did what? They gave glory to the God of heaven. The word terrified can mean your typical fear, but it can also mean awe. The word terrified suggests a profound fear or dread that is inspired by the dramatic events, including an earthquake and its aftermath. It conveys a sense of awe and shock that leads people to recognize the power and authority of God. In this context, The fear is not necessarily a paralyzing fright, but rather a response to the divine intervention and judgment happening before their eyes. This fear leads them to worship God. This season before the second coming of Jesus may be filled with persecution, but it is also filled with proclamation. And the proclamation will be greater than the persecution because some people will answer to the call of God in their hearts. It is the last proclamation that leads us into the seventh trumpet, which is the time right before the second coming of Christ. At, that, at, this, very, at this point, everyone will have made a decision who they want to follow. What does this teach us about God? His mercy doesn't end. Oftentimes we look at the last days, last day events of judgment as a time where god chooses to destroy or punish evil people the truth is that god doesn't choose doesn't that god chooses those that choose him but he also chooses those that don't choose him what am i trying to say i'm saying that the, that throughout this entire experiments experience of the judgments and final events we see a god that chooses humanity even when humanity doesn't choose him We see God doing everything within respects to people's free will, to show them the way to life. God wants everyone to be saved and to live a life of freedom with him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We see this exemplified in the person of Christ coming to a world that chose to rebel against him, even killed him. Yet he laid down his life just so that his killers could experience his love and forgiveness. God wants you. He wants you no matter how far you have gone or what you have done. He does, he's not concerned with that. He chooses you. In the end, it doesn't come down to what God Decides. He has already made his decision. It comes down to what we decide. God's decision is made. He has decided to forgive humanity and be in a loving relationship with us for eternity. But relationships are a two way street. God is not using his power to force humanity into a relationship with him. God gives us a choice. God will 10 times out of 10 choose us, but we must decide if we will choose him. God's love is so pure that he takes all the risk for us. The risk that in the end, we will not choose him as he has chosen us. In the end, in the end, God's mercy doesn't end for the wicked. The wicked just decide to turn away from it. God always chooses mercy. Always.
0: I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon.
1: Sometimes uh, in the emergency department, patients will leave uh, before their treatment is completed. And they leave for various reasons, sometimes because they want to take care of their dog at home that is alone, pretty reasonable. (laughs) Um, Other times, they just don't want to wait. And other times, uh, uh, quite quite often, uh, we see it in people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And one time I had this patient, uh, she came in and uh, she had a fever, her heart rate was up um, and she wasn't well. And I think she likely had an infection that was likely spreading through her blood. And she needed to be admitted to the hospital to get IV antibiotics. And um, she had a history of using methamphetamines. And um, I went to go talk to her after I figured out what was going on with her so I could communicate the plan. And as I walked into the room, I could tell that she was anxious, and she just said, "I, I just want to get out of here. I just want to. I just want to go." And so, of, cor- of course, naturally, as a doctor, I said, "Well, you know, I wanted to ask why, so I could figure out if there's anything I could do." And um, she said, "You know, I just want to go get high. I need a hit." And I explained to her. I said, "Listen, I can give you medication to to make you calm, to to calm you down, to make you comfortable." But I really don't think you should go. And I explained that your condition, a lot of people die from this condition. You know, if an infection spreads, it could kill you. And I really think you should stay. And I'm happy to, you know, give you whatever you need within reason to help you to stay. And she decided to leave against my medical advice. She walked out the door, and there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't hold back someone who had full capacity to make their own decisions. I pleaded with her to stay, emphasizing how dangerous it was, but yet she left anyways. I offered her everything she needed, but not everything she wanted. She wanted to get high more than she wanted to heal. I chose to treat her no matter what. I didn't care if she didn't have money or if she was an addict. None of that mattered to me. I wanted to treat her and help her, but she chose to walk away. I told her before she left, if you decide to change your mind, we are always here and we will always take care of you. God is no different. He chooses to shower us in his mercies, but we decide to stay and embrace it or walk away. Chapter 11 ends like this. The se- then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of our world has come, become the kingdom of our Lord God, Lord, and of this Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I'm going to invite my good friends Sam and Andrew to come up. Uh, They have something special for you guys. And I'm going to have them play in the background. But I just want to say this. In the end, there will be two groups of people. Those that accept the mercy of Jesus and those that reject it. The honest truth about the end of time is that it really is up to you. Maybe you're afraid that there won't be enough time or that you won't be ready. It's not about time. God gives you the time you need. Or maybe you're scared, asking yourself, will I be good enough to make it? It's not about God deciding if you're good enough or not. No, God has already chosen you. His plan is for you to live with him forever. What it comes down to in the end is what you want. The only thing preventing you from fully experiencing the mercy of God is you. In the end, the question won't be, is God merciful enough? But rather, do we want his mercy? You and I will determine our own destiny. Jesus came to this earth and died because he has already chosen you and there's nothing you can do to change his decision so praxis tonight i ask you will you choose him
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry. Or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.